0: You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, well, good morning. After the first service, somebody walked out and said, man, that was heavy, man. So today, today's message might come across as a little heavy, but man, I want to say that in looking at the Bible, we have a lot of hope in the midst of some crazy times. So Um, Last week I started off a sermon uh, series called Clarity in the Crisis. We're in part two of that. Uh, Last week I mentioned uh, again just about that when Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, that's where we get the hope of our Christian faith. Jesus is not dead, but he is a. There you go. He's alive and the Bible says that he's coming back. And what's very interesting to me is most Christians do not understand that there's incredible hope for the future despite craziness that's going on, the crisis that we face. There's incredible uh, hope um, that God's going to do a great work in and through the church and that he has a plan to rescue, redeem, and save the church, I think, from this coming tribulation that is coming. Uh, Just real quick, before we get started, uh, last week, Easter was incredible. We had about 860 folks on our campus, another 200 uh, live streaming online during our services. Uh, People placed their faith in Jesus Christ. People will be getting baptized, even starting today after our services. So let's praise God for that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Additionally, as well, I just want to say thank you for giving to the Ukrainian crisis. I had mentioned... uh, that we were uh, assisting, two partners, one in Romania, one in Poland. And uh, here's a picture of a lot of the refugees. Uh, These are ministers of the gospel that are in Poland and in Romania, literally predominantly ministering to women and children who are fleeing Ukraine because of the bombing and the war. And the men are staying back and fighting. And our church is now, with your gift on Easter, we now have have commissioned and sent and partnered with two folks and sent 10,000 So thank you for doing that. Uh, That's really, really cool. So great job. We're also going to be sharing with you in the upcoming weeks our continued efforts to help spread the name and fame of Jesus uh, by sending out one of our first missionary church planners. We're excited about that. So God is at work in our church. Great job. Let me pray for us and we're going to get started today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the work. And power of the Holy Spirit, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Father, for your people at work in and through all of the world. Lord, we thank you ahead of time for the promises that you've already made and the promises being fulfilled. Thank you for the promises for the future. You're a promise maker and a promise keeper, and we put our faith in you, Jesus. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to illumine the mind, sharpen us, strengthen us by the power in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Today we're looking at a very prophetic text in Revelation chapter 6. This is a a small series. It's a three-week series. We're in part two. Um, We're going to be looking at a prophetic text, Revelation chapter 6. It's the Apostle John who's writing it, and it's um, very much a future vision of what is to come. Uh, Most of my teaching I'm walking through. This year we've been in the Gospel of John, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and help me out, John, um, and, we're, and I'm teaching through that. So in a couple of weeks, I'll get back to that. So if you're new here and you're like, does he always teach like this? No, but this is a very important topic that I wanna address, and we're looking at uh, God's word in, in the midst of some crazy times, trying to gain a little clarity. Revelation chapter six, it's a story of um, John's vision of these, uh, these horses coming riding into human history. I believe it is in the future, and it's catastrophic. I remember one time as a young boy, we were out on a ranch on a particular night. My brothers and I, an older brother, younger brother, went into the middle of this huge, massive field, and we were stargazing. We were checking out the stars. It was a beautiful, clear night. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I heard this massive thunder sound, and I was scared. And I looked at my brother, and I said, Robbie, what is that? And he says, it's not thunder. My little brother said, well, I don't know. I don't see any storm clouds. I don't see anything. What is that? And then we realized at that moment that that was not thunder. That, those were, that was a stampede of horses that were headed straight for us. And there was very few trees around. That means in order for us to avoid the stampede and being trampled to death, we'd have to hightail it and get out of there. So we did. We did a fast foot race. And we got to those trees, and those horses blew right past us. Probably 36 to 48 horses came uh, rolling through. Um, When we look at the story of Scripture in Revelation chapter 6, it's a stampede. Uh, The message for today is called the coming stampede um, that God is going to bring his judgment upon the earth. It is going to be a very heavy topic to see, but I believe there is a tree nearby in which we will stand under and stand around and be protected by. And that tree is uh, the cross of Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ that we're going to be protected from. However, here's what I want to say. What I'm about to share with you in Revelation chapter 6 is pretty heavy. Um, and so let's jump into it. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, it says this. The Apostle John starts, and he says, in this very apocalyptic language, he says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to, help me out, to conquer. Uh, When he opened the second seal, I heard the living creature say, come. and, And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a, help me out, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was what? Death and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Uh, I like what uh, Reverend the great late Billy Graham said about this text, he said this, some theologians and Bible scholars have thought these scenes described by the Apostle John to be a description of past events. However, most evangelical scholars interpret them to do with the future, as I do. In my view, the shadows of all four horsemen can already be seen galloping through the world at this moment. Therefore, I not only want to apply these four symbols of events yet to come, but also to put our ears to the ground and hear their hoofbeats growing louder and louder by the day. If this book was written 20 to 30 years ago, and Billy Graham was saying that back then, imagine how much perhaps louder the hoofbeats are, how much clearer the shadows are in our time. Uh, Today, what we're going to do is I want to walk you through just for a moment five keys of Bible interpretation on how how do you come to the clarity of understanding the Bible as it is. This is the method that I use. Uh, Many other Bible teachers and preachers do the same thing, scholars and theologians. When you're looking at the Bible to interpret it, here are a couple things. Number one, we take a literal interpretation of Scripture as plain as possible. Um, God gave you a brain God used uh, um, individuals to write the scriptures down. We, as much as possible, try to take a literal interpretation. Now, there are obviously some symbolic things and some things to consider, and the rest of these points will help us to understand. Um, But a literal interpretation is important. Secondly, historical. When I'm looking at uh, the topic of Revelation and theological doctrines about the end times. I also want to look back in church history and see from the very beginning with the disciples, the apostles, and the early church uh, fathers of faith and see what they believed about a subject. Additionally, we want to take a contextual approach. When we're looking at Scripture, and this is good for you, even when you're reading in the Bible passages that we're looking at uh, perhaps in your Bible study, not just a devotional, you want to look what happened before this time when you're reading, like just a few verses before and then a few verses after whatever you're reading. A contextual context is helpful. And then thir- uh, fourthly, grammatical. You want to look at the grammar. Um, when when it, it, We have to see the Bible as a literary uh, uh, piece of work. Uh, perhaps the, uh, by most even secular folks would say that it is the greatest work of all of antiquity. Meaning it's incredible literature. 66 books, 40 plus authors, all divinely inspired. One amazing grand theme from Old Testament to New Testament, written on different continents, different time frames. It's incredible. Um, when you look at the grammar of the scriptures, um, it, it helps you to gain some insight. And last is this, is authorial intent. Meaning you, you want to know and you should look at when what is the author trying to convey? Um, Sometimes there's kickback about uh, literal interpretation. Um, But when we approach the text at at different times, you'll have to take into the context the context or the culture. For example, if I said to you, it's raining cats and dogs outside, would you literally believe it was raining cats and dogs? If you did, you probably should go to a, a mental place for just a little bit it's not raining cats and dogs, but you know the idiom is that, or if I say, man, my dog was awesome, but you know just last month it kicked the bucket. You would not think my dog was at home kicking a bucket. you would say the dog passed away. Um, so when we approach scripture, even with a literal interpretation, it doesn't mean always that you're taking every word. it means you have to take in. As plain as you can, the the essence of Scripture was written on the page, but then you also have to take in the context, the idioms of the day, uh, the language of the day, the history, all of that, the grammar and the authorial intent. Here's five things about end times discussion. Number one is this is what all Christians should agree upon about the return of Christ. Number one is that Jesus will return. Um, Jesus will literally return to the earth. The Bible says that. Most Christians all agree on that. Secondly, is that we should all long for his return. The Bible continually calls it, in ancient church history, it was called the blessed hope. And a lot of the end times uh, doctrines weren't developed for a very, very long time. They're trying to nail down Christology, salvation, all of these things. But we should all long for his return. Our citizenship is not on earth, it is in heaven. So we should long for this. Number three, we don't, all, we don't know the time or of his return. Uh, Most all Christians would agree. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know he's coming back. Number four, we generally agree on the results. We generally agree that God is coming back, righting every wrong. Um, There will be peace on earth everlasting, and Jesus will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Number five, I would say we won't agree on everything. Let's say that out loud. We won't agree on everything. But that's life, right? How many people do you know agree with you on everything? Nobody. The only person that agrees with you on everything is the person that you look at in the mirror. That's it. And half the time, you probably don't even agree with yourself. I say that sometimes. I say, well, this is what I think about this situation, but I I might disagree with myself just a little bit. Uh, So it it is just true. Here's what I want to show you is I'm going to play my cards out and show you what I believe about the Bible and the time frame that we're in. Uh, here's a biblical events timeline. I believe that we are in the church age right now. Jesus Christ has come. Uh, He uh, was um, miraculously born of the Virgin Mary. It was all prophesied in Scripture by the prophet um, uh, Micah, about his location, Isaiah, about the virgin birth, all the details of his life, death, and even resurrection were all foretold. We're in the church age, I believe there is a time, the next big event on God's prophetic calendar is a rapture. Um, By the way, this is actually the most uh, largest group of of evangelicals do agree with a rapture, and I'll share with you more about that. Um, And there's a lot of different views on the timing of the rapture and all that. A rapture is a rescue operation, if you will, where Jesus Christ is coming to rescue his bride, the church, from a coming tribulation, which is total mayhem, Antichrist arrives in this time frame, which I'll talk about in a moment. It creates a global peace, deceives tons of people, and then turns on uh, believers and massive persecution breaks out. Then there's the second coming of Jesus Christ where he literally returns. There's a millennial reign uh, recorded in Scripture where it's a thousand years. Satan is locked up, put in prison. Finally, there's a final judgment. Um, All evil is ridded and the earth is as it ought to be, uh, the kingdom of heaven fully uh, fulfilled, and there is eternity, new heaven, new earth. That is the position that I teach from. And I understand not everybody agrees with every ounce of that. Um, but this is what you would probably find in most of your Calvary, Bible or Calvary churches, your Greg Laurie, Skip Heitzig. This is what uh, uh, most uh, folks would understand where um, a number of other Bible t- teachers Uh, David Jeremiah, a number of Dallas Seminary guys would teach from. So this is the position that I teach from. This is the position that our elder team holds to. So here we go. So let's look at the four horsemen. Number one, let's look more closely. The white horse. The scripture says, I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. He came out conquering and to conquer Um, Some have seen this uh, figure, to be mistakenly, uh, the Christ. They cite Revelation chapter 19. Um, This is not the Christ. This is not the same man. Uh, This is the the great deceiver. Uh, This is the one uh, that will come and be incredibly handsome, charming, calming the nations of the globe. Uh, When the world is reeling from chaos... I believe this will happen after the time of the rapture. The Antichrist will arise and create a global, in a sense, uh, peace. Uh, And the whole world, imagine millions and millions of believers being uh, 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 mysteriously vanished. Uh, The New Age cultish movements, they have their own ideas of the end times. They say that what's going to happen next in our big world is that Mother Earth Will purge all the bad people from the earth, then aliens will come and abduct them. And so they say, um, What's very interesting is Father God actually has a plan that he will send his son Jesus to come and rescue all believers. And then the world will actually turn into chaos because imagine millions and millions and millions if not a billion or more, uh, believers being vanished from the earth. There will be chaos. The Antichrist will arise, create a global peace. And we see this already in our day and time, where now the country that we live in, the world that we live in, is all globalized. Uh, we have the United Nations. We have NATO. We have now what's called the World Economic Forum which all these global powers now are almost rising above countries superseding countries and making decisions uh based on the good of uh uh, of the world if if This is not shocking to you. It should be. It is not because these individuals think that they're fulfilling prophecy. It's out of necessity. We live in a deeply globalized world. When there's a financial crisis in one part of the world, it can ripple effect into everything else. This Antichrist will arise as a global leader. The book of Daniel tells us there will be a global alliance with 10 other global leaders. His presence and power will be absolutely welcomed initially as world peace. Um it's very interesting to me, if you've watched in the news, uh, President Zelensky, uh, he had a, somebody come up uh, behind him who was a musician. The guy's name was John uh, Andrasik, and he wrote a song dedicated to the Ukrainian president, and the title of the song was, Can One Man Save the World? He says in his song, Can One Man Save the World? In a thousand years, will they say your name? Or... Is this all in vain? Can one man save the world? Will you take my hand? Will you help me stand? Still, in the end, can one man save the world? I do not think Zelensky is the Antichrist, uh, nor do I think Zelensky thinks he's the Antichrist. But I do think that people will come to a man and call, basically, call him the savior of the world. And this will be an antichrist, somebody who is looked to to be the savior of the world. Our Bible tells us there's only one savior of the world, amen? There's only one. And people will come to a place in time in our world history where they will look to a man believing he is literally like the savior of the world. Let's look at the second horse, the red horse. Scripture says, And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. In this scene, there is a force of evil that rides into the world to spill blood. Jesus gave a prophetic description of a world saying that nations would rise against nation in Matthew 24. And that would be unparalleled to anything that we've ever seen. Uh, We hear in our day and time, right, wars and rumors of wars. It's uh, perhaps for some uh, have thought and rumors are it's a nuclear arms race and who's next. Um, In this description of the red horse, uh, this is a, again, a major um, battle of epic proportions, The worldwide peace with the Antichrist that was initially created is absolutely gone at this point. The red horse here symbolizes bloodshed, destruction on a global scale. Red is the color that's associated in the Bible, uh, specifically in this context, as terror and carnage. In fact, in Revelation, looking at the Scriptures, when red is mentioned, it's mentioned of a red horse who brings war. Um, In Revelation 12, a red dragon... And then in Revelation 17, a red beast. Red is war. Red is uh, catastrophic war. Additionally, it should be noted that the phrase, the great sword, this refers to uh, what would have been in the mind, perhaps, of uh, John the Apostle, a, uh, a sword that was used by Roman soldiers called the machira. It's a, it's a small sword that would be worn on the belt of the Roman soldier that was used uh, for war, but also for assassinations. Um, this is a picture of a brutal uh, war with both civilians and military casualties. The Bible describes civil wars will break out, uh, military invasions, a constant and continual bloodbath for the world. But think about it like this what's sobering about this study is that um, the bloodiest events that we've ever had in human history, we perhaps would recall World War I or World War II. In World War I, there was an estimated of 20 to 37 million uh, casualties. World War II, roughly 56 to 80 million people were killed. And according to New York Times, 108 million uh, people were killed in the 20th century alone. But then what I found interesting is that the totality of all casualties from all times in all human history comes up to, at the highest level, people are estimating that maybe one billion people have been killed in war. One billion. One billion. So what I find uh, shocking is that the Bible actually describes something far worse, catastrophic death tolls with increased threats of terrorism, nuclear weapons, and mass destruction, it seems to me that the stage is already set for this worldwide holocaust and Armageddon. The, high, the highest casualties estimate in all of human history are roughly at the highest, again, at one billion. Yet the Bible uh, warns of something far worse. By the time these four horsemen have ridden through world history in the future, um, it'll be far worse. And I'll share with you how I came to that conclusion. Number three, let's look at the black horse. Uh, The black horse, the scripture says, I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Uh, This is a picture of of, uh, dramatic inflation. This is a picture of scarcity. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie, The Hunger Games? Raise your hands. Okay, so you remember perhaps in the storyline, Katniss Everdeen, she's having to fight for survival, seeking food and shelter to give to her family and friends. This is the picture, but far worse, of what will happen in the tribulation. There will be a famines. There will be a black horse, in a sense, this, a metaphor of a future famine, and famine, listen to this, famine always follows war when war is, is immense. So famines usually do not precede war, but they come behind war. Right now we have a war in the Ukraine. There's no telling when that will be done. Um, we have wars that are being rumors of wars, and Jesus predicted this kind of thing. Um, What is a famine? A famine is a prolonged period of time where there's widespread hunger, where people don't have enough food, and they will go hungry and perhaps die of starvation. Um, Famines don't last forever. They last for a limited time. But the Apostle John described a famine where there would be incredible hyperinflation. When it says in the scripture that a quart of wheat for a denarius, this, this would indicate an astronomical price increase for staple foods. A denarius was a day's wages and a quart of wheat would only be enough food for one day. In other words, this pricing increase would be like a thousand percent. And while we don't have that kind of price increase currently right now in our country, um, but we do see price increases, do we not? And we, see, we hear many rumors about famines and ideas that there's going to be a scarcity. Others uh, during this time frame... Uh, are going to have to find out ways to survive. Um, Those of you that hunt, uh, if you're alive during the tribulation, you better learn to hunt really well. For fishing and all these things, uh, there will be a scarcity of food. Currently, in our culture right now, there is said to be a famine. Um, These are a result of the Ukrainian crisis. Uh, Russia has invaded the Ukraine, and Ukraine was said to be the breadbasket of Europe. Um, Currently, there's major global discussions about how to prepare for a coming famine worldwide. Um, China has recently admitted that they had their worst crops and worst season ever for harvest due to bad weather. Uh, And when China admits something like that, it's pretty serious. Additionally, the cost of fertilizer, much of the... uh, 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 fertilizers that come out of Europe uh, and uh, Ukraine and Russia has been disrupted. And so the cost of fertilizers on a global level has been disrupted. Uh, Some experts say that some farmers will will only uh, produce perhaps uh, 60% of what they normally would produce. So there's going to be a 40% uh, drop in the amount of crops that they're uh, seeking to harvest. Additionally, we see a current inflation. You see this at the gas pump. When you go to the gas pumps and fill up your truck or your car, it's astronomical. The cost of foods, the cost of living, all this is part of what the Bible already tells us about. Um, What is my belief about all these things? Again, I'll say this. I think these are foreshadowings. I do not think this is the fulfillment of Revelation 6. I think that these are the hoofbeats of the horses and you can hear them. I believe these are the shadows of the horse riders coming across our world in our time. I believe the Bible is true. There's 500 prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Uh, Jesus um, tells us that he's coming back and that there is going to be a trials and tribulations. Let's look at the fourth rider. The fourth rider is the pale horse. This is perhaps the worst, unfortunately. This is where I think the individual walked out of the service and said, man, that was heavy. It is heavy. Uh, The pale horse, the scripture says, I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was, help me out, Death and Hades, followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine, this is another famine, and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So if death and Hades come storming through, teamed up like the the um, a, a, in massive perfor- proportion to kill one fourth of the earth. You, those of you that know math, let's just say roughly eight billion people in our world. How much is a a fourth of eight billion? Shout it out. Two billion. There you go. So. In this situation, we have incredible epic proportion of death just with the pale horse alone. Pale is the color of death. The Greek word used here is chloros, and it, uh, it's the English word that we get, chlorine. It signifies a death and yellow, greenish, decaying corpse. Um, it's death and Hades that are coming together uh, to wreak havoc, to kill with a sword, with a famine, and with pestilence. Let's get to those, and let me describe these weapons of war. Um, First, you see the mention of the word sword. I think this easily symbolizes war. Uh, These are likely weapons of perhaps mass destruction, such as nuclear missiles, bombs, or some kind of biological warfare. When death and Hades come, this is death, and another word for Hades is hell. Uh, Hell is unleashed on earth. This is God's judgment. Um, I believe God rescues us from that, but these death and Hades on the pale horse, perhaps riding in tandem together, come. they bring sword, symbolizing war. Second, these riders bring famine. This would be an additional famine, perhaps even worse uh, than the first. And then third, it says they're going to bring pestilence, uh, and, and fourth, they're going to unleash wild beasts and ravage the world. That's where I paused for a moment and studied this a little bit closer. What does this mean? And how does this uh, relate to our current culture? Well, if you consider the word uh, themselves, pestilence is a, defined as a fatal epidemic, a widespread occurrence in infectious diseases. And the Bible uh these are sometimes referred to as plagues, or in today's times, we might call these pandemics. Uh, The most recent widespread virus and pandemic is obviously COVID-19. It quickly became a global pandemic. It's total death toll with COVID-related, note the word related, COVID-related deaths as of this message that I'm preaching is just over 6 million people worldwide. Uh, many experts would say that the virus from COVID-19 came from bats. Uh, it's not uncommon for new versions of viruses to develop in animals and then transfer themselves over to people that they come in contact with. And this is actually very uh, much ha- it happens much more in countries where there's a massive amounts of people and lots of animals as well. Um, scientists, Chinese scientists, call these diseases are called spillover diseases. And actually, there's about 700,000 people that die every year of diseases that the doctors say, we have no treatable uh, plan for you because they don't understand. The problem has been going on for a long time where the animals will get sick, they will die, and then somehow in human contact, the people get sick, and these are called spillover diseases. This has been happening for centuries, consider the bubonic plague of 1347 that killed two million people. And it was transmitted by fleas on rats. This is a spillover disease. Um, or this 1918 Spanish flu that came from wild ducks, killing some 50 million people. Or the Asian flu that came from wild ducks in 1950s and killed over a million people. Or the swine flu that came from pigs in 2009 and killed 200,000 people. The point is, is that uh, these, uh, I believe that the writers that are coming in, death and Hades, are bringing uh, pestilence and it's a disease, it's a biological, it's a spillover disease, a virus that's almost uncontrollable that will bring massive death. Again, I believe that everything that we see in scriptures, uh, specifically here in Revelation chapter 6 and in Matthew 24, which we'll get to in just a moment, is a foreshadowing of a future fulfillment. It's a picture of the future. Um, Some would say this is the end and COVID-19 is part of the great tribulation. But I would say to you, I doubt it. COVID-19 is just a beginning of something of far more uh, catastrophic impact. Uh, COVID-19 was said, like I said, to wipe out Six million people worldwide. The coming uh, uh, death tolls uh, by the pale horse alone is catastrophic. It says that, let's look back at the passage, Revelation 6, 8. It says, And they were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, and with pestilence, i.e. pandemics and by wild beasts of the earth that happened with one horse alone according to revelation we have no calculation perhaps for the other horses that come riding through our world but if you just averaged them you would easily come to billions of people wiped out during this time It, it seems incredibly catastrophic but the Bible tells us and warns us about such days in the future. Let's look at Matthew 24. Jesus had a, uh, an on-the-hillside teaching about the end of times to his disciples. Uh, they knew he was coming back. They, knew, they did not know the details. And this is what Jesus has to say to them before he ascended into heaven. He says, verse 3, Matthew 24, as he sat... Uh, John or Matthew records it as he sat on the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when these things w- will these things be when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age verse 4 and Jesus answered them see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my my name saying i am the christ and they will lead uh, and they will lead many astray It sounds a lot like the rider on the white horse. Deception. Verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Sounds like a lot to me, like the rider on the red horse. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines uh, and earthquakes in various places. This is the rider on the black horse. And then if you look in Luke's account of this discussion, Luke adds pestilence, which would be the rider on the pale horse. But look at verse 8, most shocking. Jesus says this. He says, And all these, all these, all these things, all, all those things, the, the war, the famine, the earthquakes, the pestilence, all these things, are but the beginning of the birth pains. Uh, those of you that are women um, and have given birth, you probably know the pain of this. And if you weren't too heavily sedated, you know that birth is a very, very painful experience. And as the contractions increase and the frequency and the intensity of the contractions, you know that you are nearer and nearer to the birth. I think what Jesus was saying here is describing that there's a time coming when the frequency and the intensity happen, the end is near. Um, Seismatologists say that earthquakes are happening in more frequency than ever before and with greater intensity than ever before. And we're seeing more and more of these uncontrollable things like these viruses spin out of control all of these things, like Jesus said, are happening with greater frequency and intensity. Things will get far worse described in Revelation 6, where it was said one-fourth of the world's population will be decimated. But that's just one horse. Uh, that's just one wave of destruction and judgment. Um, everything we see right now, I believe, in the world that we see is just the beginning of and coming to the end of what I will call, and many others call, the church age. And we all know ages. There's been the industrial age. There's been the technological age, as we understand it. But the Bible has a plan where the church age will end and the tribulation age will begin. The good news of Jesus Christ and the message that I hold to and teach, along with our elder team, is that Jesus Christ will come back and rescue his bride. That we will not be in that time frame. Um, So what does that mean for us? It means for us is number one, I said this last week, is that you need to be educated as a believer. Um, It is not a time for you to not apply your mind to the scriptures. Um, Most all of you, our area is a pretty highly educated area. Uh, Most people in this area have graduated from high school. Many have gone on to get a college degree. Some have gone to a master's level. Some are working on their doctorate. You should apply at least a high school level to the Bible. That You really should. Uh, Phoenix ranks as one of the most biblically illiterate cities in the entire country. We're, we're right behind San Francisco. That San Francisco gets first place for not knowing the Bible. Uh, Phoenix gets number two. So uh, at this church, we teach the Bible. Uh, after we finish this series, we're going back into the Gospel of John. I want to challenge you to do that. Um, let's talk about prophecy for a minute, though. A 1,000 prophecies in the Bible, 500 have already been fulfilled, 500 to be fulfilled. One-third of the Bible is prophecy, okay? Let's look at this graph. I found this by LifeWay Research. I I really thought thought this was pretty incredible. Uh, 27% of the Bible verses in the Bible have to deal with prophecy. Those are future events that are to take place and have taken place. 500 have already uh, been fulfilled, another 500 to come. Um, So... Prophecy-related verses. There's 27 percent of our Bible is all about prophecy. Okay. Now, Lifeway Research did a, a research on finding out what do Christians know. What who's preaching about Bible prophecy? And they did research on fa- uh, pastors and and analyzed 400 of their sermons and found out this that two percent of the 400 sermons had anything to do with Bible prophecy. So that means 98% of the time, the preachers and the teachers, they're never talking about prophecy. They did further study and found out when they talk about prophecy, they were predominantly talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ. Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. So what's going on? if If you ask me what's going on, Pastor Ryan, here's what's going on. A widespread of Christians who have zero idea about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Many people in his first coming were totally ignorant to it and rejected him and got him crucified. The second coming, there's still tons that is to happen in these coming days. We're one of the most biblically illiterate cultures in the country, Phoenix, and nobody's teaching about it. So this creates a big problem. So, number one, I said, be educated, be educated, be educated. Um, Number two, I would challenge you, be active. Be active in your faith. You know, I I think that you should be active. This is good regardless of whether you believe all the details about the end times, but you should be active. You should be actively uh, seeking to encourage one another. The author of Hebrews said it like this, hey, let's consider how we can spur one another on as we see the final days coming. So our world is winding down. Every, every country has an expiration date on it. Uh, we, we can't think that this world as it is is just always going to go on the way it is, not if you hold to a biblical worldview. Uh, countries rise and countries fall. So be active now, encouraging other believers, strengthening other believers. To me, listen, parents, If I'm, I'm raising kids. I know many of you are too. You can't just raise a kid anymore to just love Jesus and go to church and say everything's good. You have to raise a kid to be a soldier, to be strong in their faith. This is not the same world you and I grew up in. This is a very different world where at every single level there's attack and push and agenda. So you have to be incredibly active as a parent. You should be incredibly active as a Christian, engaging conversations, sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to do that. Some have looked at the Christian life as a playground. I would say, no, think about the Christian life more like a battlefield. It's where you're fighting for what matters most. So be active. And number three, just be ready. The Bible tells us that nobody knows the day nor the hour. I agree with that. Uh, I think we can see and see in Scripture that there's a a description of seasons and times that are kind of coming upon us. And we can see how everything's being set up. I mean, even the things like what we see in our culture. Uh, the Bible says that there is going to be a time when there will be a cashless society, and the Antichrist uh, will put into implementation that nobody can buy or sell anything unless they have the what, the mark. And are we not moving towards a fast-moving cashless society? I mean, all of the things. This is what's unique all of the things that we see in culture, and everybody goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. It's all talked about in the scriptures. Like you hold in your hands the storyline of how everything begins and how everything ends. Most all of you know the story of creation. And you've told yourself and you told others to combat and overcome the ideas of evolutionary theory because you do. You hold to the creation idea. You know how it all started. But do you care and do you know how it all ends? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would look to your word, be ready, that we would grow in our faith, strengthen us, heal us, help us. And Father, for those that have turned Their backs on You today might they turn back towards You. You say that You're slow and patient to return so that none might perish. Father, I do pray that many today, online or even here, would just simply place their faith in You and say, Lord, I want to be with You. Save me. I confess. I acknowledge my sin. I'm turning towards You, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Save me. I see You're the God. You're King You've been raised from the dead. Raise me now. Keep me safe. Keep me strong. Lord, might we confess that with our hearts and believe uh, with our minds, Lord, that You are the Lord and that You're... We don't have hope just for right now that You're with us, but we have hope for the future that You will rescue. Lord, and so we pray, might we be active, might we be ready, might we be educated. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.